You are listening to The Dish on Health IT, brought to you by Point of Care Partners, a leading health IT consultancy. Each episode will feature a rotating panel of senior consultants and guests who will talk about trends and innovations in health IT, while also highlighting how organizations can leverage these advances to solve their business problems. This episode's guest is Scott King, Chief Technology Officer at Vibe Health by Evidion. Scott King joins the Dish on Health IT host to explore in-hospital room use cases and how technology integrated with the EHRs and other systems can keep the patient and their families informed as well as support provider staff. We'll also ask about Vibe Health's use of standards and for their view on the current interoperability landscape. We hope you find today's episode informative and helpful. If you have topic ideas you'd like us to cover in future episodes, be sure to share them with us by emailing us at podcast at POCP.com or tweeting us at POCPHIT. Hello, everyone, and welcome to The Dish on Health IT, where we invite health IT leaders and trailblazers to break down and discuss some of health IT's biggest news and most exciting milestones. We at Point of Care Partners are health IT consultants. We work with stakeholders across the healthcare ecosystem and are viewed as an independent and trusted party. I'm Ken Kleinberg, Innovation Lead here at Point of Care Partners, and I'll be your host for this episode. I'm joined by my colleague, Pooja Babra, POCP's Pharmacy and PBM Lead. We warmly welcome our guest, Scott King, Chief Technology Officer at Vibe Health by eVideon. Today's episode will explore some use cases and technologies that will benefit from increased visibility in the market. We're gonna talk about how hospital in-room technology integrated with the EHR and other systems can keep the patient and their families informed as well as support provider staff. So often we talk about patient engagement and data access through the lens of patient-facing apps or ambulatory doctor visits, but what about during hospital stays? We'll be talking with Scott today about the use cases Vibe Health works to solve the role of APIs, fire or not, and we'll ask about his thoughts on the current interoperability landscape from policy to standards. But before we meet our guest, I'd like to have Pooja briefly introduce herself and tell us what she's looking forward to exploring and learning with today's podcast. Pooja? Great. Thank you, Ken. Uh, Pooja Babra, as Ken mentioned, I'm the uh, PBM and pharmacy lead here at Point of Care Partners. And a lot of uh, my work is also focused on kind of patient-facing, patient transparency, all of that kind of uh, patient-facing. So I'm really excited because, Ken, as you mentioned, right, we talk a lot about the patient on this this podcast. We talk about health IT and standards, but we haven't really thought about the patient-facing view from an inpatient standpoint. So I'm really excited to hear uh, from Scott just learn about their platform, what they're doing, and also, you know, have our audience uh, learn about it as well. It's something we don't talk about very often here. So I uh, look forward to this discussion with Scott and learning more. Thanks, Pooja. Now, let's greet our guest, Scott King, Chief Technology Officer of Vibe Health by Evidion. Scott, will you briefly introduce yourself and tell us about Vibe Health? Thanks, Ken. As Ken mentioned, I'm CTO for Vibe Health by Evidion. We are a uh, platform uh, for interactive patient experiences within the healthcare setting, generally in the hospital, in and around the hospital room uh, for an inpatient stay, but extends beyond the walls of the hospital as well. But that's a, kind of our, our core use cases are within the hospital room. And I say patient experience platform, um, but it's also really a staff experience platform at the same time and has grown to be more so in the last few years. So, 
an example of that. So what Vibe Health is, is it, we run on the multiple devices within the pot, uh, patient room, like the smart TV on the wall, uh, a companion tablet for the patient uh, there at the bedside, as well as digital whiteboards in the room and digital door signs on the outside of the room to communicate precautions and the like. So all of these, these, these are kind of four key endpoints, but really the key is for us orchestrating a lot of hospital information and putting it at the right place at the right time. And it's not just information. Sometimes it's controls within the patient room and other ways uh, that the patient can engage in their own experience in the hospital and in their own care. So it's really our key desire is to make sure that all of that right information is at the right place at the right time, as I mentioned. And, and the reason that that uh, affects staff is you think about a digital whiteboard in, in a patient room. Today, if you're familiar with a patient room, and most of us are, there's a typically a dry erase board in the patient room um, that a nurse has to keep updated uh, on a regular basis. That's, you know, a, a, as I'm sure everyone would agree, that's a, that's a ripe opportunity for digitization, right? For, for changing an experience to that's extra work that a nurse has to do. Now we digitize it and we can take that information directly from the medical record and present it to the patient and, and the staff that's coming in the room at the right time. So those are some examples of the, of the products we provide and, and how we're working in a hospital. All right, thanks. Uh, so to further set the stage, you know, we're all accustomed to, you know, visiting with our doctor and what goes on in the doctor's office, yet we don't spend as much time in the hospital. What type of unique challenges do patients face when they're in a hospital room, and how could your smart room technology, including access to uh, data and customized education, uh, really help that patient? Yeah. Uh, so, you know, you think about a, a TV on a wall in a hospital room. Traditionally, that's just been a one-way medium for watching, you know, flipping channels. And, and unfortunately, still, even though we've moved beyond that in our homes, and, and a lot of us are using very interactive apps and accessing all di- kinds of different things on our, on our TVs in the homes, there's still a lot of hospitals out there that are just delivering TV channels, click up, click down, um, or put in a channel number, and that's the extent of it. So to us, that, that's just a, a prime opportunity to engage the patient with things that matter more to them in the hospital. So so because we're tied into the EMR, that patient is going to be greeted by name. Um, they can see that when they come in the room. You think about when you go to a, to a nice hotel, in some cases you walk in the room and the TV's already turned on and gives you a greeting, you know, a similar experience to that. So really um, making that patient feel comfortable, making them feel at home, setting kind of a relaxed tone for them, but then also offering them all kinds of, you know, amenities that can help them in what we call distraction therapies, typically things like relaxation content, things like um, a sleep aid, uh, a noise, uh, being able to turn on the sound of a fan on the on the TV um, or on their tablet so that they can uh, get to sleep more easily and, and kind of drown out the, the beeps and buzzes that are typical in a hospital room. So a lot of it has to do with setting the comfort for the patient. But then uh, when it comes to the information perspective, you know, we want to prepare that patient for discharge from the moment they're admitted. We want to get them ready for um, whatever put them there in that hospital. Bed. We want to make sure that once they're discharged, they ha- they're equipped with the right information and knowledge to be able to um, recover from uh, uh, operation, for example, or to be able to attack a condition that they have with the most informed uh, view. So education, for example. If a nurse in the medical record um, assigns some sort of an education point or a teaching point for a patient, 
We don't want the nurse to have to log into another system to have to trigger something to provide some additional education to that patient. And as much we want that that nurse to be able to educate their patient as, as that is part of what they do on a day by day basis. But it would be great if if they could have some tools to help them kind of set the stage and do that. And then and then the nurse can focus on other aspects of care while the patient is being educated with um, a, a video, for example, which video is great for education because it's multimodal. You know, you've got voice, you've got audio, you've got video, you've got text all working together. And since patients, every patient is a different type of learner, it really helps to be able to to provide that education. But what we want to do is educate the patient specifically on the reason they're there in the bed, not just some, you know, uh, generic set of videos. So when the teaching point or education point gets assigned in the medical record, that will trigger patient information being sent to our system via HL7 typically, but there's other ways that we we receive that as well in this modern and changing way of the way communications happen between hospital systems. So we can know instantly that that patient um, needs to be educated on, for example, you know, heart failure diet or heart failure, you know, medications, et cetera, or whatever other things that they need. And so that, that educational video will literally, patient will be prompted on their TV, hey, you've been a sign new education. Would you like to watch it now or later? And we can set up all kinds of different rules to make sure that patient feels in control, but also that they're getting what they need. And then when they go ahead and complete that educational content, um, we'll document that back into the medical records so that the patient, uh, so that the, the care team staff doesn't have to do any extra documentation or entry. We're really taking steps away from the nurse, letting, letting them have, you know, more, uh, less friction in, in the care that they're trying to provide and also preparing that patient. Uh, for leaving. So those are just a couple examples um, uh, of ways that we're engaging the patients and specifically around education in that case. Yeah, thanks. I think most of us have either had a hospital stay or visited family at a hospital, and they can imagine the challenges you just described and how more real-time access to data would be helpful to patients, uh, their families, as well as the staff taking care of them. But I'm thinking, what about when the patient leaves the hospital? Are you working on ways to uh, give the patients and their family access to that data and these educational videos that they see in their room uh, when they're in the hospital when they go home? Or maybe you're doing it through a partner? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, there are different uh, types of tools. It definitely, when you think about a patient in the hospital watching a video, it, to my points earlier, it's it's a very powerful and a, a good thing to do. But but then you put yourself in the position of the patient. They're medicated. They're tired. They're um, not necessarily, you know, they're they're processing a lot. There's a lot going on. It's a it's a new situation for them. And so while they can watch that video multiple times in the hospital if they if they choose to, you know, after discharge they might think. Oh, what did that video say again? And so we we like to give them that opportunity to be able to watch that education post discharge, and we can do that through multiple means, either through an integration in the the health systems portal, providing the the videos uh, available there, or through an integration with a third party. Maybe the hospital is using a a type of a text bot or a chat bot system, where then a link can be provided to the patient post discharge, right, to have a seamless flow from the inpatient experience to the outpatient experience, and provide a link to that patient where they can access those videos um, if, let's say, they're not integrated into the health uh, record or into the into the portal, they could access those via a text link uh, and be able to get back to those videos at that time. So there's multiple ways we can approach that with our uh, health system partners. All right. Thanks. Uh, Pooja, your work has you thinking consistently about patient-facing data exchange. What are your thoughts here? 
So actually, I have a personal story around all of this. You know, earlier this year, my daughter had a head injury, uh, which landed her in the ICU for several days. And because of COVID, right, there were a lot of restrictions around visiting her. And so, you know, we could only have one of us in the in the ICU at, at, at a time, either my husband or I. And we weren't able to stay overnight uh, because of COVID. And so, you know, having this technology and just being able to see, you know, kind of what was happening with her, you know, not having to call the nurse's station or call the doctor as soon as we got back in there uh, would have been great. So I think just, first of all, kind of having that uh, just from a, a personal perspective, just hearing about the platform is is wonderful. But from a work standpoint, yeah, absolutely. You know, I do a lot of work with the Karen Alliance, which is the patient-facing uh, HL7 accelerator. And I always hear stories that, about the patient experience when we're having meetings or talking about new use cases and, you know, really their struggle, right, with, with getting data both from an outpatient standpoint, but even understanding, right, the, their, when they're in the hospital, the experiences they're having, what the doctor's trying to tell them, you know, they've just been diagnosed with something horrible and trying to keep it all straight. So really, you know, having that ability, right, to be able to access the information, to do it in a time frame when they're ready to do it, but then also being able to get that data when upon discharge would be great. And I'm also thinking about medication adherence. So, you know, just being on the pharmacy side of things, a lot of what folks struggle with is you know, you're, you're getting discharged from the hospital, you're being told all of these discharge instructions and including your medications, right? Like how are you supposed to take them? When are you supposed to take them? All of that's being thrown at you. So being able to just educate the patient, not only when they're in the hospital about that, but being able to access it later after they get home would be just a huge improvement and really help with medication adherence as well. You know, I, I have a personal story as well with uh, education. I went hang gliding once and they had us watch a video to learn how to use the hang glider. And they told us, you know, to push forward, to go down and pull back, to go up. And when we came out of the video, the instructor said, I just want to mention that the hang gliders, we have work opposite to what you just saw in that video. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so there, there's something to be said about the accuracy uh, and, and the customization here. All right. So Scott. You mentioned during our prep in the move by many hospitals to have cameras in hospital rooms to enable, for example, virtual rounds, patient monitoring, and to give patients access to video calls with family members. And I understand you've also got some integration with real-time locationing technologies. Can you talk a little bit more about these capabilities? And I'm also thinking, what about patients who may want to opt out of that for privacy reasons? Yeah, sure. Those, those are great questions. Um, so first, I want to just get back to, to Pooja's comment for, for a moment as far as medication adherence. There's other things we can do there, too. You know, we're providing education while they're in their stay in the same way, you know, video education even on, on medications um, that can help offload even pharmacy workloads there. But also, if the hospital has an inpatient pharmacy or sorry, an outpatient pharmacy, we can help automate that process. You know, we all know that that one of the reasons that patients end up with readmission in hospitals is because they just never even picked up their meds, right? For any number of different reasons. So if we can do things to help facilitate them getting their prescriptions before they even leave the doors, that's one step closer to adherence. Yeah, um, absolutely. That's great. So um, with cameras in the room, you know, it was interesting when the pandemic started, we decided we have no idea as, a, as nobody did, but as a business who delivers, you know, patient uh, technologies to hospitals, one of our thoughts was, okay, obviously hospitals are overwhelmed. They, they don't want to sit through sales demos right now. They don't want to, they, they want to hear about tools that are really going to help them during this unique crisis. And so we immediately turned to, all right, well, 
what about cameras? What about, you know, the fact that these visiting hours are being limited and things like that? Can we can we provide a technology without them having to do a forklift upgrade? Can we provide a technology that can help them in this process? So we developed a video visit application called Hello, which is one of our products that's appless and loginless. And, you know, we, we kept hearing horror stories about nurses having to be technical support for a visitor on the remote end that's trying to um, talk to, you know, the, the patient in the room. Room, and they've got disparate technologies on both ends. Like I've got FaceTime here, but an Android device over here and, and those are incompatible or, you know, they're trying to use Zoom or Teams or any number of different things that might require a download or a login account. And the person on the other end might not even speak the same language as the nurse who's trying to help get this working. So we thought, well, if we can deliver something that's just very easy to step through, send an invitation, have your loved ones visit that that would be a good win. And, and it was, it was very, very helpful, you know, for patients being able to have that kind of seamless video visit. What we're seeing more of now um, is I think that the pandemic really has, has um, kind of ramped this up. Whereas a camera in an ICU room was starting to become the standard for remote monitoring and, and the like. Now hospitals are saying, we want a camera in every room. There were there are so many beneficial use cases for, for doing that. One is just family and, and friends visiting. You know, that's one use case. Um, but more importantly is, you know, you've got a specialist who's in that's in hospital A, but you're in hospital B. For them to drive over to meet with the patient for five minutes doesn't make sense. But if we can enable a way to have these kinds of specialist provider visits, um, you know, kind of on demand very seamlessly into the room through a video call in the same way that we're doing video calls every day now, multiple times a day, right? Let's use video technology in the patient room more. So that's one example. Um, patient monitoring, there are already, you know, a lot of use cases where patient monitoring is needed. And you traditionally, you would have a sitter in the room, a physical person sitting there making sure, you know, if the patient's high fall risk or what have you, but more and more that's being done virtually through video technologies. So if we could, rather than wheeling a big camera into the room for patient monitoring, what if we just have a camera in the room and uh, we can do an observation? And so there are a lot, uh, multiple different companies providing these technologies, and we provide a very tight and seamless integration with them to make that happen. So I'll give you a couple examples. And, th and this could be through, you know, we have a, a great Zoom rooms integration, we work with companies like Caregility and, well, a number of others. I won't even get into a list, but it provides it so that, let's say, providers in the medical record, and, and this, this telehealth solution for inpatient purposes is, is integrated into the medical record. And so the doctor wants to make a call into the patient's room. They can simply click a button in the medical record and it goes out and communicates with the telehealth platform to start a call. And that telehealth platform um, communicates with our system to, okay, we've got an incoming doctor call. Are we going to prompt the patient to accept the call or are we going to have an auto entry capability where the, the doctor is just going to come in after maybe a countdown of five seconds or something? And then we'll, on the on the TV that the patient already has in the room, if it's already turned off, if it's turned off, then we can turn it on and we will automatically then switch the input and the view on the TV so that the patient is in a bi-directional video call at that time. They have their conversations that they need. When As soon as that call ends, we switch the patient back to what they were doing previously, either turn the TV back off or resume the video that they were watching that we paused at the time the call came in or resume the TV channel they're watching, for example.
So all of that can happen without someone having to wheel something in a room or go into a room and coordinate it. You don't need an extra provider or, or caregiver that's in the room coordinating anything. We just want to make it seamless and smooth. In, in a monitoring type scenario where a patient is under observation, you don't need to switch inputs because it's one-way video. It's just that there's someone sitting at a desk who's watching a dozen patients and making sure that they're safe. So what we do in those cases is we'll provide a notification on the screen, letting the patient know that you're under observation. So there's no like, why is that light on my camera? They know it's very clear. And then we'll just persist that messaging in a watermark fashion on the TV screen, wherever the patient navigates so that they always understand they and their loved ones who might be visiting them understand that that patient is under observation and why. Um, and then when that's done, that'll go off. Now, there are some cameras uh, options out there that will literally turn around and face away from the patient when they're not in use. So to your question about privacy, Ken, you know, th there's not always a camera facing at them. Some have an, a shutter that will automatically open and close. And then there's other technologies that don't. Sometimes it's a camera and you just, you just don't know for sure. A few years ago, I felt like it was a lot more, there was a lot more resistance to having a camera in every room for the reason you, you mentioned, like they're going to be concerned. Patients will be concerned about privacy and there still will be those occasional patients who are concerned with that. But what I'm seeing is that that resistance has gone away and uh, there are far too many powerful use cases for having a camera in every room to want to go back to not having that. So um, it's exciting. And I'm seeing the prices come down for some of those endpoints as well. That's sometimes been a, a resistance in the past is the costs of, of these technologies and those are coming down also. So a lot of powerful powerful use cases. Oh, and one one more that I, I didn't mention there is just virtual rounding. You know, we, we know that rounding is is, is happening, whether it's, uh, you know, a leadership rounding or provider rounding or nurse rounding. These are all things that could be accommodated or, or e even if the regular practice isn't with a video visit for the rounding, there might be some cases where census is high or there's something going on that, that requires it, you know, some kind of an emergency where, hey, we can just be more efficient if we do video rounding for a period. Yeah, on the uh, locationing technologies, uh, seems there's a lot of value in uh, the staff or the patient's family knowing where the patient might be at every given moment. Uh, could you say a little bit more about that? Yeah, sure. Thanks. Uh, yeah, I knew I was going to miss one of those questions you asked me. So real-time location systems or real-time location services or RTLS as we, we know it in the trade. RTLS systems can be used for multiple things, right? It's for inventory tracking where you've got a tag that's on a, an IV pole so that so that the staff can say, hey, where, where, did, where are the IV, IV poles? They can look at a map and see where they're located. And you can do patient tracking as well. And we've done some, some interesting outpatient scenarios where patient tracking has been powerful for self-roaming type initiatives and the like. So you can keep track of making sure the patient's in the right place and automating some workflows there. Most of the time um, that we're leveraging uh, RTLS in, with our platform is with staff tracking. So um, if a nurse is wearing a badge, for example, or, or a provider uh, is wearing a badge, they walk into the room of the patient after, you know, a preset threshold of, you know, 10 seconds or something like that. So we make sure it, they weren't just popping their head in the door, but they're actually in there to, to see the patient in some way. Then the RTLS system will let us know about it. And so we can pop something up on the TV screen that says, you know, nurse Jane just walked in the door, you know, and um, here's a picture of her smiling face. So if she's wearing a mask, you can, you know, know what the patient, know what the nurse looks like, um, but also just be re reassured that this person coming in the door is someone I know, or is someone that is, is here for my care. 
And then we keep track of that. So the patient gets that nice friendly notification, but we're also keeping track of who's been in my room. So you think about, you know, if you go into a hospital room, you're visiting maybe a parent, um, you say, hey, mom, who's been in to see you? Has, has Dr. Um, uh, Jones been in to see you? Oh, no, no, nobody's been in to see me because mom's medicated and mom doesn't remember or mom was sleeping. But I could just look up at that TV screen or at the digital whiteboard and I can see everybody who's come in the room to take care of my mom. And so it's reassuring for the family members. It also helps just make those connections. Oh, good. I see that Dr. Jones was in to see you. So I'm going to, uh, I, I would like to ask some questions of them based on their, their visit with you. So a lot of, a lot of great ways we can, oh, and I'll say one more thing. So I mentioned that we do digital whiteboards in the patient room. Not every room has the um, space available on a wall to have a separate digital whiteboard. So a, a lot of times our deployments will have the whiteboard built into the TV experience, but that means it's not always visible. If I'm watching Watching the game on Sunday, then I can't see the whiteboard, but we can do use an RTLS trigger so that when the nurse walks in the room, if there's some key information that's important for the nurse to see on that digital whiteboard, we can pop up the digital whiteboard in a wraparound view that doesn't take over the whole screen, but that just takes up like the shape of an L, for example. And then you've got kind of a picture in picture window where you can keep watching your game even though the nurse is in there needing to look at a whiteboard, needing to check some things out. And, and then we can take it a step further. If that badge that um, it walked in the room is, is identified as a provider badge versus a nurse badge, then we might actually pause the movie that the patient's watching or mute the TV because we know that the doc is in there to have a focused call or a focused conversation with the patient, whereas the nurse might be checking vitals or, or, or checking other things and not need to take the patient away from their, their media viewing or what have you. So a, a lot of different things that we keep seeing new use cases crop up and it's fun to be able to, to, be able to pivot because we've got that real-time communication with the staff. Yeah, tracking who's been where for infection control, also mm -hmm. another great uh, application there. Okay, uh, let's dive more into uh, the health IT approach that Vibe Health is using uh, for integration. Uh, wouldn't be an episode of The Dish on Health IT if we didn't ask you about your use of standards. So, for example, are you using FHIR, and how are the standards you're using uh, meshing with the standards used by your clients and their EHR vendors? Yeah, great question. You know, this is one area where... So our, our first our first system in a hospital went live about about 15 years ago. And so at that time, you know, we were basically just told as we were building our first interactive system that's going to go in a hospital, hey, you need to support HL7. So we had to learn what HL7 was, right? And all of our communications for the most part for, for the last many years has been HL7 v2, you know, version two HL7, because that's pretty much the standard for how to receive a feed for what's going on with that patient. ADT is kind of the base level. We need to know where, where they're admitted, discharged, and transferred so that we can that patient experience can be personalized on the TV. So it's very important for us to have that ADT information. So one difference, the reason that we haven't switched that to FHIR, for example, um, for, for a lot of our workflows is because we're really dependent on real-time information. Think about a whiteboard in a patient room. Do I... It's not like logging into a patient portal or an EMR where I'm going to look up a patient and then pull it up on the screen. And so then that application just can just go out and make a fire call real quick and get all the information I need and present it onto my screen. Instead, that whiteboard might be sitting up all day long and it just needs to update when something has changed in it for that patient. I don't want all of my whiteboards being required to every second 
query all the different fire API calls so that I can get real time ish relevant information on my screen. Instead, I really want that EMR to tell me when something has changed, right? Because things are changing all the time, but not for every patient all the time. So you think of a thousand beds in, in, in a large hospital. If we were querying the EMR with fire calls for every patient for, you know, 30 different data fields um, every second, that's just overkill. That's not needed. So we want instead that EMR to tell us when each patient has had a new medication administered or has had a radiology appointment scheduled for the afternoon or the care team has changed because it's a shift change, right? So we depend on HL7 V2 is great at that. It's event-based. When something changes in the medical record, they send us a message and we can update it immediately. Yeah, Fire um, has a standard for resource subscription, but it's still in draft mode. So until we get past that and until, first of all, the standard is finalized, and then secondly, the EMRs have all adopted that, we won't be using Fire for most of our calls. There are some use cases where we do use Fire today, as well as other API standards, or not standards, I should say. Individual health systems have their own ways that they're tackling this because, in my view, because a Fire subscription standard isn't there yet. So they have to provide other ways to to give us real-time information using modern web standards that are are available today, but that just aren't quite approved yet in the in the HL7 FIRE standard. Yeah, you know, think back to the early days of uh, HL7 with V2, it was almost too flexible and organizations took the customizations uh, probably too far. That's true. Uh, yeah. Do you think now with, uh, in a more general discussion about interoperability and the role of uh, policy and ONC, by naming, for example, specific FIRE implementation guides, is that going to help progress the industry through this common playbook or uh, is that going to be too limiting? Yeah, it's it's hard for me to say. I think it probably will. I think every every move that's being made toward a more um, well toward more modern standards like Fire is, as well as um, more guidelines around how to use these, like implementation guides. I can I can only see that being more beneficial. You know, we're already seeing. I think the benefits of using even in some cases, like some of our health systems are. Uh, like I said, have implemented some of their own means of being able to communicate information to us in real time, whether it's a web a substandard, like a, a, a pub substandard where it's we're subscribing to a topic in a, in a modern web interface, and it's just sending us that information in a modern, what's called JSON format. You know, that that already is proving to be a much more powerful way than us relying on HL7, because hospitals have seemed to have fewer and fewer HL7 experts and more and more. When, when you think about it, if you're trying to hire um, developers today, how many developers understand how to build a RESTful API, for example, and how many uh, developers out there in the market know HL7 standards and, and work in that? It's it's just, a, you know, you, you've got a much bigger pool of talent to pull from and hospitals are building large pools of talent, but it's not in the HL7 v2 space. So I might have gotten a little away from your question there, but um, yeah, that, that's... I think it can only, uh, a rising tide uh, floats all ships. So that means there's there's going to be more competition also in our in, in every space too, right? The more we can move forward with the newer standards, um, the better for us and the better for our health systems. Pooja, you live in the world of standards and are driving them with uh, your work with NCPDT. Uh, anything you'd like to add here? 
Yeah, I, you know, it's it's interesting because, um, you know, as now the chair of the board of NCPDP, we just recently, I, I, I worked on a, we're working on our strategic plan. And one of the comments that came up this past week as we were working on it was, we're not going to build standards just to build standards, right? I mean, you have, they have to be used. They have to be workable in real life. And I think, you know, Scott makes some really good points, right? It's, it's you know, there's going to be some standards out there that are going to make sense. And I, I remember in our prep session, right, we were talking about how you guys have to, you know, connect to things like the building platforms and, and things that just aren't going to make sense to have standards. But I do feel there could be an opportunity, you know, especially around the 21st Century Cares Act, patient access, you know, everything that you've been talking about really falls into that realm. And so I do think there's some opportunity there in terms of, you know, how do you make sure that patients can access the data after they leave the hospital? Even, you know, some of those connections within the hospital probably make sense. But yeah, I mean, it's, you know, you're not going to use standards in a, in a, in a realm, right, that, that it doesn't make sense. But I do think there's some opportunities, especially with, you know, like I said, the, the patient access piece, um, some of the 21st Century Cures Act, and just being able for patients to access the data once they're discharged from the hospital. I think that's where I see the standards playing a role here. Yeah, thanks, Pusha. So, you know, with uh, the open APIs and uh, these new regulations, accessing data is uh, opening up. Uh, what about writing back into the EHR? Is that something that you can do with the Vibe Health platform? Yeah, for sure. I mean, like I mentioned, most of our communications today are, are HL7v2. So that's how a lot of the communication is happening. And I, uh, um, in the example I, I touched on earlier with patient education, um, you know, we're, we're documenting back the patient's completion of that, that education um, after they've completed it. And that includes things like we, we prompt the patient for who the learner is. In other words, um, who's watching this video right now? Is it the patient? Is it the, you know, a family member? Is it a caregiver? Is it multiple? multiple of them. So we capture that. And then after a video is completed, we'll capture um, a, an assessment of their comprehension of it with some, some questions. So then when we document back into the patient medical record, all of that can be included, you know, the patient's level of, of comprehension, et cetera. So that, that's one example. We, we haven't, you know, most of the time we're receiving information and providing that, you know, to the patient at the, at the right time, as opposed to writing back, but the facilities are there, whether it's through HL7, or to write back using using fire and fire is great for that because it's it's not because it's a modern standard that I don't have to be polling for. If I have some new information I need to to put in the medical record, I can. Most hospitals have not like a lot of the information we gather will be around the patient experience. So um, the patient might make a service request through our platform that they would like um, to speak to a chaplain, for example. And so after, you know, after a while, we, we can we can track when that has been resolved, make sure the patient knows that a chaplain will be coming to visit them, you know, through communications on our platform. And then, you know, sometime later, we can uh, survey the question, uh, survey the patient with just a, a short little pop up pulse survey that doesn't take them away from what they're doing and ask them, you know, if their um, request was satisfied, for example. And so that's those are data points that hospitals don't really want going back into the MR. But it's very important for them to track. They want to know how well they're doing on, on um, satisfying patients' needs. Likewise, if they ask a survey question about how was your lunch this afternoon and the patient answers negatively, we could ask some, some follow-up questions, you know, use some branch logic there and ask some further questions and drill down on that. And then, and then 
based on their responses, then we can notify healthcare staff that, that there's a need. These are kind of workflows that it's important data for the hospital, but it doesn't belong in the medical record per se. So always looking for opportunities for, for, for information. Um, you know, if, if our platform can be used to capture important information that does need to go back into the medical record, we have the abilities to do that. There's not a ton of that going on yet today. Yeah, Pooja, your thoughts here? Yeah, you know, writing back into the EHR has always been a little bit of a, a sticky situation. I mean, I remember when uh, we were doing MU certification when I used, was working for a, a company that um, uh, EHR company, and you know, it was always a question of uh, how can you write back, right? And you want to make sure that the data that's being written back into the record um, is accurate and all of that. So I can see why there's some hesitation there, right? But I do like the idea of being able to capture information, right? That the, whether it's a survey or the patient requesting something, and I almost feel like there there could be a health equity kind of piece to this, right, of, of you know, is the patient comprehending what you guys are, are trying to educate them on or what the, the nursing staff or whatever it is that they're trying to, uh, for, as far as the education, um, I know there's been some discussion in, like, the DNR space, the do not res- uh, resuscitate, the advanced directive space of are people understanding, right, the information that's being provided to them, things like that. I know there's been some worker with HIEs around patient consent, right? Are people understanding what they're actually consenting to? So there seems like there's an opportunity, especially in those areas of saying, if we're able to capture kind of that patient response, that could be a way to say, okay, you know, how do we get that information back? Not necessarily in the patient record, but like you said, Scott, you know, just kind of that information as a feedback loop for the providers and the folks that are taking care of the patient. Yeah, for sure. And because we do have that patient information, we do know the age of the patient, the ethnicity of the patient, patient, um, the preferred language of the patient, et cetera, the, the preferred pronouns for that patient. You know, we know all of this data already because we're receiving that from the EMR. So we can correlate that with the kinds of survey responses or the way that they're they're moving the needle on on that care. So that's a that's a great point. Great. Well, as we close out, we like to ask our guests if they have any final message or calls to action they want to send the industry. So, Scott, anything you want our listeners to do or to think about differently? Yeah, no, I guess the two, a couple things. One is um, just to realize and, and remember that in, in a hospital room, in a hospital environment, there's so many different technologies, and our goal is to make those technologies work together in a more automated way so that virtually everything is is, is digital or it has some way of communicating with each other today, right? So uh, I'll give for an example, like, okay, so the, there's code blue in the room, that button is hit, you know, the nurse call system becomes aware of it, the, the various systems do. So why not you know, lower the temperature in the room, turn the lights up brighter, um, show, change the status on any number of different displays, whether it's the door sign outside in the hall or the TV that the patient's in use. Let's, let's use all of those tools contextually for, for, for the purpose at hand. So, um, you know, if, if there's certain key information that is, that you know that your medical staff needs when there's a code event, let's make sure that's available in plain view on a TV rather than someone having to go look it up somewhere else, right? Anything we can do to kind of make that, 
that flow without someone having to press extra buttons or log into other systems. So automation and, and making making those technologies part of the care experience and, and kind of an added an added member of the care team, if you will, uh, to be able to accomplish things can be really powerful. And, and I, it's really helpful to be thinking in that way, you know, and, and as well as what are the items that are still in my room that are analog, like a dry erase board that would benefit from being digital because it would relieve patient uh, or, or rather nursing um, um, requ- uh, needs <laughs> or relieve them of, of the burden of, of having to do extra tasks when unnecessary, things like that. And then for, for the industry as well, for, for communications, the, the sooner we can get to a, I feel, I feel like maybe the, the subscription type uh, model, you know, moving from HL7V2 to FHIR, there's, there's been this big focus on just accessing the data and, and, you know, thinking of the kinds of apps that just need to on-demand access this data as opposed to those systems that need to know about it when it happens. Because the, that automation part that I was just talking about is really dependent on us knowing about things when they happen so that we can can uh, work with the technologies in the room for that purpose. So if we can, the sooner we'll get to a subscription, re- resource subscription standard in FHIR, I think uh, the more that we'll benefit from that. Um, and hospitals will benefit from that as well. Okay, great. We packed a lot into this podcast. I want to thank my POCP co-host, Pooja Babra, and thank our knowledgeable guest, Scott King from Vibe Health. A friendly remind to our new listeners that you can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or whatever platform you use to pick up your podcasts, including Health Now Radio and the podcast channel. We hope you'll leave us a positive review if you found our podcast informative. Uh, Videos of our podcast episodes, sometimes longer versions, are often available on the POCP YouTube channel. And don't forget, especially as uh, the temperatures are dropping out there, health IT is a dish best served hot. Is it a challenge to stay on top of interoperability regulations and the flurry of activity with fire accelerators? Email us at interopoutlook at POCP.com to learn more about our new interoperability outlook subscription monitoring service. 